Hello, this is Christy Kendall with the Align Yourself to Success podcast. And around here, our passion and purpose is to empower entrepreneurs to extraordinary profit through highest level transformation. You begin with your mind and alignment. You are limitless and you are powerful. Today, we have with us Tiffany Parker. Tiffany is a first responder and author with over a decade of experience in public service and emergency management. She's earned a dual master's degree in emergency management and homeland security, focusing her attention on counterterrorism. And currently, she is working towards her doctor of philosophy in criminal justice and homeland security so that she can bring her knowledge of human trafficking to the world. She served as both a structural and wildland firefighter, as well as an emergency manager for the largest hospital system, police department in Texas. However, Tiffany left her role as a firefighter to work in, in anti-human trafficking and train first responders on how to recognize and respond to human trafficking. So basically we have with us a badass. So welcome, Tiffany. <laughs> yeah. We're so happy to have you here and talk about this topic that needs to be talked about and educate us. And will you just begin with sharing us your story and how you got here to this place. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here. Second of all, a little caveat. Uh, my story is not beautiful. It's not uplifting or exciting or, you know, it doesn't leave you with butterflies in your stomach, but it is my story and it brings a lot of awareness to uh, things that we don't talk about very often. So I was born and raised um, to a drug addicted mom with severe trauma issues. Uh, she had been trafficked as a young child. Her sexual assault actually started uh, before she was three years old. And the first time that she really um, understood what was going on, she asked her mom what would happen if a boy stuck his bang in a girl. And she said, my grandmother told my mom that you would die if that ever happened. So as a very, very young three or four-year-old child, my mom laid in bed waiting to die. And that is basically the beginning of her life of trauma. Uh, she ran away when she was 12 years old um, into the arms of a trafficker and drug dealer who murdered people in front of her and uh, you know, withheld necessities like food and water and shelter. Um, she, he addicted her to drugs, which she spent the next about 20 years addicted to. So by the time I had come along, um, I had two older brothers by different dads. My mom had met my dad who ended up being a convict on the run from a different uh, state that was actually married with several kids in a different state. So uh, they, you know, did drugs and drank while she was pregnant with me, you know, had a party life. And then I came along and um, at the beginning of my lifetime, my mom would drop me off at her drug dealer's house while she went to the bars and partied and so at some point, that's when my trauma started happening. My sexual abuse started happening. Um, she blames it on my dad. You know, she's not quite sure. I blame it on the fact that I was dropped off at random people's houses in the middle of the night. No one will ever really know, but that's where the basis of my trauma went. I will state that I have a lot of ugly stories in my, in my story about my mom, but my mom is a wonderful human being. And when you think about her story, it's it's not surprising that she reacted to the things in my life that she did because she's experienced so much trauma in her life that, you know, it's really hard for her to 
we call it the trauma brain. It, it's hard for her to rationalize things. So although I do say some you know, sad or scary or upsetting stories about my mom, I do want to say, you know, as a caveat that she's an amazing woman would give you the shirt off her back. And we are working through her trauma now, but it hasn't always been the case. So uh, fast forward, I was about five years old when my brother started sexually molesting me. Um, you know, I can, when I close my eyes, I can still picture, I can smell the rooms, you know, I could see us in these different scenarios. Um, he was uh, letting his friends come over and do similar things. And this happened until from five until I was about 10 years old. Um, until finally, when I was 10 years old, I, in a fit of anger, I'm sure my brother had done something stupid, stolen my Barbie dolls or, you know, typical things brothers do. But I told my mom what had been happening. And it wasn't really an outcry. It was more like I wanted to get him in trouble for doing something. And instead, my mom got angry at me. And uh, it was the first and the last time I talked about my trauma for the next 20 years. And uh, that wasn't until I was 30 years old and I wrote my first book that I decided that I was going to share the story again. And, you know, I sat my mom down and I said, do you remember, you know, what I told you when I was 10 years old about my brother? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I wrote a book, published a book, but before you read, I want you to know um, that story's in there. And her response was, please don't put your brother in jail, <laughs> which I didn't. But uh, we talked about it and she, I said, you know, reminded her about how angry she was at me when I told her the story and she said, no, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't angry at you. I was angry. I was just angry at the scenario, angry at the situation, but I mishandled it. But for her, for, for myself, for a 10 year old little girl, that was the first time I realized that you don't, you can't share your story, that you're the problem if you share your story. So three years later, when I was 13 years old, I was um, a girlfriend of mine and myself were raped by a 27-year-old Navy SEAL. Um, it, if you don't know anything about the Navy SEALs, their hands are considered deadly weapons because of the, the combat training they go through. So here I am, a small 13-year-old little girl being raped by a 27-year-old Navy SEAL whose hands are considered deadly weapons. And learning from my past from when I was 10 and telling my mom about my brother, I didn't say anything. You know, I kept it to myself. Um, but fortunately for me, I told the secret to a friend of mine who in turn told a police officer or a teacher who then called the police. And my mom came down and uh, that opened up a doorway to some other things that were going on. But this was, these two incidents were the start of my life as um, a survivor of sexual abuse time after time. Uh, after this gentleman was arrested, we went to my pastor and told him what had happened. And he told my mom and I that I was a temptress and that this poor man had been tempted into these terrible things because of what I had done, because of what I looked like, and that it was my fault for it happening. And the, the church rallied around this guy and his family and I was basically told you're the problem if you didn't look the way you looked and didn't talk the way you talk and act the way you act, this one didn't happen to you. And uh, so, you know, it happened again a, a year later and it continued to happen throughout the years until I got to the point where I realized the only way, you know, the only thing people wanted from me was my body. That is how people show their love for you in the form of 
So the Navy SEAL was my cousin. So, you know, my cousin and my brothers and these other predators that had come into contact throughout my life was, they were telling me that, you know, they were doing these things to me because one, I was the issue and two, that was how a guy showed he loved you was through these, these acts. Uh, so fast forward and I became um, a child bride at 16 um, after that second rape through the second guy, the church had decided that I was a problem and that um, I needed to get married so that I could no longer be a problem to these guys and they would no longer fall victim to my, my terrible ways. So that's where the word human trafficking comes to in my life is in the form of a child bride. So I was uh, four months past my 16th birthday when I was married off to a 22 year old. And when I say I tried to be the perfect Christian wife, I really did try to be the perfect Christian wife. Um, I had two children in an attempt to make myself happier in this abusive and ugly relationship uh, where I come from. You know, women are meant to sit down and shut up. And if you ever learn anything about me, I'm anything but the type to sit down and shut up. So I struggled with it. You know, I struggled with the abuse. And when I would go to the, the pastor and say, you know, my husband's physically abusive, he would tell me it is God's place to discipline a man and his um I'm sorry, it's God's place to discipline a man and it's a man's place to discipline his wife and his children. And if your husband is hitting you, it's because that's what you need in your life. And that is his decision and his punishments for you. So sexual assault and physical abuse were people's way of telling me that they loved me or cared about me and yay for me. So um, I left my husband when I was 19 years old and I, I went to a really ugly place. Um, I used my body to uh, have a place to live, you know, get food, uh, food in my belly and clothes on my back and gas in my car. Um, if I, I was living or use the word living, we were homeless, but I was living or staying or, you know, coexisting with another female friend of mine and we would take turns and who was going to sleep with the guy at the bar that night so that the other one would get, usually it was a floor. Um, often it was the laundry room floor or, you know, if they were real nice, they'd give us a couch while the other person was with the guy. That way, at least we'd get a roof over our head that night. So we did that for um, quite some time. And while I was doing that, I was very grateful for my sons that were back home with my ex-husband. He had told me if I took my boys with me that he would kill me and I wouldn't have to worry about trying to get custody of my kids because I'd be dead. So there was a fear factor there. And I left my, my boys with my ex-husband when I was homeless. But there was that little um, voice in the back of my head of my two boys the whole time that I was going through this homeless process in my life. And I really think that they saved me from decisions that I could or couldn't have made during that, life, that time in my life. Um, so I started working at a ice cream shop uh, in 2010, or a little before 2010, 2009-ish, uh, towards 2009, until I was able to work my way up to make enough money to um, do the EMT program in my hometown. By then, when I left the church, let me go back a little bit. When I left the church, the pastor told my mom that the only reason I would have left the church is because I had a drug addict or a drug habit. And I was selling my body for my drug habit. And that would be the only reason why a woman would ever leave her husband. And my mom believed him because why would a pastor lie? Just like, why would he lie about me being the problem when I was raped? 
So uh, for all of that time that I was homeless and after I left my husband, my mom and I did not have a relationship. She in fact told me to leave her son and her grandchildren alone. So there was no family or anything for me to go back to uh, while I was homeless. However, while I was working through my EMT program, my mom started to realize you know, the lies that were being told in the church. My stepfather was very, very abusive, physically, emotionally, mentally abusive. My mom tried to kill herself twice. Uh, so she started to realize that the things that was happening in the church weren't, weren't real life and weren't realistic. So we started to mend our relationship. She remarried, left the church, remarried, and invited me to come live with them while I did my EMT program. And that was kind of the first foothold I needed to climb myself out of this. At this point, I was 20 years old. So this 20-year hole that I'd lived in that included sexual trauma and physical and mental abuse and homelessness and, and drug habits and, you know, all of the things that you can think of, I did it in those first 20 years. So worked my way through my EMT program and uh, worked my way all the way up through my bachelor's. And while I was in the middle of my bachelor's program, I became a firefighter in 2010. At the same time, I became an EMT. Um, 10 years later, I'm working through my bachelor's program and I meet this guy. He's married, which was my idea of a good time at the time because married men can't hurt you. And I was a very hurt and very broken person who you, you know, I uh, communicated through sex. So I met this married man and I told him, hey, I'm just in it for the sex. And he said, that's okay. I hate my wife. You know, we're going to get a divorce one day, but today's not that day. So just so you know, it'll never go anywhere. And we had this perfect little agreement that we would sleep together for a couple of weeks while we were on this fire department deployment and life would go on. And that was uh, six years ago. <laughs> and uh, that, that man uh, broke his promise and fell in love and uh, started telling me every single day, me and God love you. Me and God love you. Every time he hung up the phone, me and God love you. And my response to that was, fuck you. And, you know, as a Christian, he'd be like, awesome. Now, yes, I know you're thinking a Christian that's cheating on his wife. I get that. Uh, he wasn't living a very Christian lifestyle. You know, they had decided that when their kids were older, they would get a divorce, but, you know, he still was not living a Christian lifestyle. However, that is not what was important in my story. What was important is God was working through him and I didn't know it. So, um, this was in 2016 that we met. In 2017, I got um, pregnant by this guy, and he was still with his ex-wife, or I'm sorry, his wife, and I was still insisting that it was just sex. And um, May of 2017, I got a job offer in Texas, yeah, close to Dallas, Texas, and I lived um, in northern Arizona. So I reached out to this guy, and I was like, hey, how close do you live to Dallas, Texas? And he's like, 30 minutes. <laughs> so um, I ended up just moving down the road from this guy. He and his wife ended up not working out, not, you know, nothing related to me. Um, well, probably a lot related with me, but uh, he had a lot of PTSD and issues outside of me. I was probably the, the cherry on top. Um, so in 2017, after he had been divorced, after my daughter was born, um, we started dating and I got into church and God really started working in my life. I didn't realize that God had used, used this broken man to 
speak into my life and at a very broken time in my life when I was in Texas and by myself and nine months pregnant and I had nothing else to reach out to that it would be God that I'd be reaching out to and it was solely because some guy even in the worst of his sin had told me me and God love you and uh, God has been using me for since 2017 so the last five years to share my story and educate people on human trafficking I did get out of the fire service. I went into emergency management, which uh, led me to uh, the police department, which has given me my uh, just a love and passion for police officers and law enforcement. And I decided I wanted to start sharing my story with law enforcement and teaching them about human trafficking, because when you think of my story, you don't think about human trafficking. When you think about my mom's story, you know, her story in human trafficking was they were picked up by traffickers. At the end, it was one of you two girls get to live. One of you isn't going to, they're going to come with us. And my mom pulled the lucky straw or the, the short straw, whichever one you want to consider it. And was the one that ended up living out of these two young girls. And, you know, that was a trauma that she lived with her for the rest of her life. But when you think about tra trafficking, you don't think about those stories. You don't think about the child bride who is living here in the United States, blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, living amongst everybody else. You think about China or, or you know, these po impoverished nations or these countries, you don't think about people like me. And so working in the last five years on human trafficking, I've really pushed to educate what human trafficking looks like here in the United States, because it's happening to everybody. You know, it's, Maybe it's not happening to you personally, but it's happening to your neighbor or your neighbor's child or the kid down the road or that kid that your, your son brings home every day. I have a little girl who my son brings her home every day. She just lives down the road that is in, a, in the middle of a, a very nasty house that there's a lot of domestic violence and a lot of stuff that is, um, you know, hiding behind the curtains of this house and my son brings this little girl home every day after school and feeds her and, and gets her ready to go to this, you know, this terrible situation. But if I wasn't someone that, that worked in human trafficking, it wouldn't have been something that I noticed. You know, she's got an adorable smile and a pep in her step. You never think that this child, every time she goes home, is being beaten. So that is, that's what I do now. Um, I work with a company called Reclaim 611. Um, I work as a partnership with them. They do human trafficking education for um, cl uh, clinical staff, so hospitals and doctors, nurses. And I come in and I do education for first responders. And God has really given me the a door to open to um, travel all over the country. And now I can officially say I've traveled internationally to do education on human trafficking, even if it was across the bridge in, in Niagara Falls, Canada, it still counts. Um, but that's what I do now, and uh, I travel all over the country getting to educate people and train people on how to recognize human trafficking, how to respond to human trafficking, and how to not re-victimize a person that has been trafficked. And uh, it's, you know, it's just the very beginning of my story in educating on human trafficking, but the foothold, I mean, doors open left and right. When I speak at one conference, it opens the door to 15 more, and I'm very excited that I get the opportunity to do podcasts like this or, you know, go out and speak at conferences and tell my story because when you hear a story like mine, it makes you angry, I hope. You know, it makes you, it, you feel the injustice and you want to do something about it. 
and learning about human trafficking and being educated on it, it you can now, you know, you've, you've got the eyes now to see that trafficking is happening everywhere. And the only people that can stop it are people like you and I. It's not anybody special. It's not these task forces or, you know, you have to go undercover in the middle of the Middle East. It's happening right here in your neighborhood. And, and people like you and I are the ones that can fix human trafficking. So that's my story. And that's uh, how I got to where I am at today. Thank you for sharing your story. And I, I love that you pointed out that it's not what we think it is. It's not what it looks like. It's not what we're looking for. Um, while we're on this call, do you wanna share us share with us some of those things that we can look for and we can recognize and what we can we do about it? You know, Because people feel like one little thing isn't gonna make a difference when in fact it can. Absolutely. Um, so one thing, and I mentioned the little girl that my son brings home every day and feeds her a meal because he knows when she goes home, she's not going to get a meal. And uh, those are the types of things that you can do for trafficking survivors. This little girl knows that she has a safe place over here. We're not, not at a place yet that we can safely um, get her, remove her out of that situation. And a lot of the times you're going to see that in human trafficking. So although hers is domestic violence, it's very similar to what you experience in human trafficking. And that is, you can't always get them out of human trafficking right away. But what you can do is offer them resources, especially first responders. When you see somebody that you know, you're running a call on, if you ask them, can I get you a bottle of water? You know, do you need a snack? Can I get you some fresh clothes? Do you need a place to sleep tonight? Those are the things that you can offer trafficking survivors that mean more to them than anything else in the world. Yes, we can offer them resources. Yes, we give them chapstick with our phone number on it. But the most important thing they need right then is somebody to support them that isn't their trafficker. Because the reason they got into trafficking accidentally is usually because they were being it, through frauds or coercion. So they fell for something, a facade that wasn't real, but this, this trafficker was giving them what they needed at the time, whether it was emotional support or, you know, a roof over their head or food in their bellies. There are so many opportunities that I could have been the next girl with her, you know, face on the side of a milk carton or went missing because I was so willing to go anywhere and do anything just to have a, you know, feel that feeling of being full in my stomach or have clean clothes on or have a place to sleep. So those are the things that you can do for trafficking survivors. Some of the things you can do to recognize it is um, if you look at, at kids, especially if you're a parent like I am, I dress my kids for the weather that we're having. If it is summer, they're in tank tops and shorts, flip-flops. If it's winter, you know, long sleeves, pants, jackets, warm clothing. But a lot of the times you're gonna see these kids in ill-fitting clothes, or clothes that are appropriate for the weather or clothes that are appropriate for their gender. Now, I know right now we're going through this whole like gender neutral, if my daughter wears boy clothes, such and such, but there's a difference between wanting to wear a blue shirt or boys pants and wearing an ill-fitting, dirty, you know, outfit and being made to look like a boy so that people don't recognize so that's one thing to look at for kids. Another one is um, a child's willingness to speak to you or look at you. Uh, one of the big things in trafficking is making eye contact. So when you make eye contact in human trafficking, it is a way of 
they call it selling up or buying up. Um, that is the way that you pick your newest buyer. So a lot of the times this happens in parties, but a, a woman is sitting there with her eyes downcast. And when she looks up and makes eye contact with a man, she is, that is her way of, all right, you know, this is my next job or the way of that. It's kind of like a purchase agreement. So a lot of women won't make eye contact or men or children, but trafficking survivors won't make eye contact. Um, some other things are people that are not in possession of their own money, their own wallet, their own driver's license, their passport documentation, or they don't know where their location is at. Uh, we get a lot of people in the hospital that don't know where they're at, or they think they're in Dallas, or they've been in Dallas for a couple of days, but they're just passing through. These are all questions that spark more questions like, how long are you here? Why are we here? Who are you here with? Uh, but I don't recommend interviewing people, but these are just some of the things that you can look out for. If you have, like we do this little girl across the street, you know, you got neighbors, you got neighbor kids. These are the things that you can look out for. If you've got a child playing at the park and something seems off, you can ask that child if they're okay. This little girl across the street knows that she has a safe place to go. She ever needs us. You know, she knows that when she's over here, she's got food for her belly or, you know, a place to lie down. She's got what she needs here if she ever needs it. When it comes to the point that she's ready for help or that we can help her, she knows where to go. And that's the best thing that you can do for a survivor is give them the option of resources and you as a resource. You know, if you're, we're not law enforcement or, you know, the people that I'm speaking to aren't law enforcement, so they can't go arrest a trafficker, but you can reach out to your local law enforcement and let them know, you know, you think something's going on or you saw this guy with three young girls that, you know, something just doesn't seem right. And you want to talk to their trafficking unit and they can, they do reports on those, those types of things. So those are some of the things. Um, the biggest one is that not holding on to your identification or your own money and not knowing where they're located are, are two of the biggest ways to uh, communicate with somebody that's trafficking and know that there's something going on. So if somebody wants to learn more about this and make a difference or get a hold of you, what, what are some, some steps people can make? Absolutely. So there are so many different organizations, depending on where you live in the country, that offer human trafficking education. You can just Google it, human trafficking education. Or the National Institute of Missing and um, Exploited Children also offers online training. I offer uh, training for first responders, so police and fire. I travel all over the country, and you can get a hold of me by um, get being emailed. I'll have you know Christy link uh, post that, so you have my email address. If you have questions on trafficking, or you feel like you you know there's something going on with your neighbor's kid, or this little girl at church, or you know this boy at my son's school, please don't hesitate to email me or give me a call, and you know I can talk talk you through it or walk you through it. If you're not comfortable with me doing it, you can call NICMIC. Again, that's the National Institution of Missing and Exploited Children um, and talk to them. They'll talk you through it as well and give you that information that you need. And, and if it does end up being something that we think needs to be reported, then we can give you the right information to report it appropriately. But don't ever, don't ever try to um, approach a trafficker or a trafficking child and and rescue them because in reality, what's gonna happen is you're gonna traumatize them more, hurt them more. Uh, so, you know, make sure that you're going to the appropriate authorities, but 
again, Christy, I'll give you my information and always feel welcome to call me anytime, day or night, or email me and I can answer all your questions. Again, we do free training and then there's lots of free training online. Okay, thank you so much. We'll put all of that information in the, in the description so you have access to it. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I think, you know, if, if one thing makes an impact, you know, it's worth, it's worth it. So hopefully we can all do our part. Yeah. And I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't mention my books. So yeah. I'm the author of two books. <laughs> the first one I mentioned um, is my story. Uh, a much deeper, deeper dive in my story is called Whispered Like Wildfire. You can buy it on Amazon. And the other one is a parenting book. I have seven kids. So at some point in the <laughs> bearing and raising of seven children, you become an expert on it. So I, I did write a funny, you know, easy read. Uh, it's called, you forgot to mention, but it's all of those things in parenting that people don't ever talk about like blood clots and mucus plugs and breastfeeding. So it is, it's fun. You'll laugh, but you'll also learn a lot. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, writing it. And I got a a lot of feedback from a large portion of the, the mommy and daddy community. A lot of men and women um, added their advice in there. And so it's a fun read, but great for parents, whether whether they're new parents or on their seventh kid. Awesome. <laughs> we'll put links to your books in there too, in the descriptions. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to go get those. I'm going to read them. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing. I appreciate you sharing your story and your time with us. And it's been lovely to meet you and talk with you. So hopefully we'll do this again. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. See you on the next one.